Welcome to the New Life Baptist Podcast. Our mission is to love the Great Commandment, live the Great Commission, and lead one more to Jesus Christ. We thank you for listening, and we hope that you are encouraged today as we dive into God's Word. Let me invite you to take the Word of God, to open the Word of God, and to turn in the Word of God to Luke chapter 1. We're going to take a a five-week break from our series in the book of Acts to prepare ourselves for Emmanuel, God with us. We know the story of Christmas does not begin necessarily in a manger, nor does it begin necessarily in the prophets, but it begins all the way back in the garden where God makes a promise that a Savior would come, a child would come, and he would defeat the head of the enemy, that he would squander and squash the sin that came into the world. The Son would be given to crush what would ail us and attack us the most. And so we understand that when God works, God begins that work and will always bring it faithful to completion. But as we look to the story of Luke and look at the gospel of Luke and look at the story of Christ and his coming and the announcement of his coming in Luke, we know this, that our God is often a God of very small beginnings. He doesn't always start with the fanfare, doesn't always start with the big things, doesn't always choose the people that we would choose, maybe use the people that we would use, but our God is often a God of small beginnings. Because here's what we know to be true. In the hands of the master, the insignificant are always instruments. In the hands of the great master, he takes ordinary people and uses them in ordinary ways to produce extraordinary glory for God. He's going to do that right here as we look at two people, a man, a priest named Zacharias, his wife named Elizabeth. God's going to show up to them and give them a promise to come, a promise that is going to change history. It's going to change the world. It's going to change eternity. And we see it right here in the text of Luke chapter 1. And what I love about the power of God and the promise of God on display is when he comes, he doesn't say, hey, I'm going to change the world through a grown-up, an adult Jesus. He doesn't change the world through adolescent Jesus. He doesn't even change the world through infant Jesus. What he's going to do with his promise, it begins in the womb. God places so much value on the life in the womb. God places so much value even before we were born. God has a plan and a purpose for us at our conception. And we thank God that God has a plan for us. Amen. That we has a promise for us even before we were born. We're going to see that come true right here. He places his entire weight of his glory, of his redemptive promise upon the back of an unborn baby. So if you will with me for the reading of God's word, let's stand together as we honor him his authority over us. I'm going to start in verse 5 of Luke chapter 1. It says this, In the days of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest, not just an extraordinary priest, but an ordinary priest, and his name was Zacharias, or Zachariah, depending on your text. It says he was of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, also from the priestly tribe, and her name was Elizabeth. Now these people, they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in the commandments, in the requirements of the Lord. But here's the problem. They had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. This is the word of God. Amen? Amen. You may have a seat today. As we submit to his authority over us, I'm going to ask you to keep the text open before you. Grab the worship guide. And on the backside, we're going to plug in some things as we walk together through the word of God today and apply the text to our lives in submission to the king. 
As we see this again, you're going to look at a man named Zacharias. You're going to look at a woman named Elizabeth. You're going to hear about a son to be born named John. And we're going to meet an angel named Gabriel. All these things are coming together to prepare us for the promise that has been made and the promise that will come true in Christ. And so what we're going to see here, though, as we look at these two things in the text, number one is this. We meet in Zacharias an unbelieving priest. That's who we meet. We meet an unbelieving priest. Go back to our text, verse 5. It says, in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, in this time, there was just a priest. And maybe your text says a certain priest. So he wasn't anything to stand out. He was just a priest, and his name was Zacharias. And he was of a certain division of Abijah. But he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, Aaron being the first priest, right? And Moses, his brother Aaron, that's a Levite tribe, and her name was Elizabeth. Now these two, what I love about what God details about their life is they were righteous. They both were righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in the commandments, all the commandments, all the requirements of the Lord. They were obedient to him. But again, here comes the obstacle. They had no child because Elizabeth was barren, which means she could not conceive, could not have a child. And they were both on top of that. They were both advanced in years, which is a nice biblical way of saying they old, right? They old. So here we got this problem. And what I love about the story of Zacharias and and what I love about Elizabeth is what we see God detail about them is their personal righteousness. These people were committed to God. They were following God. They were doing it God's way. They were studying God's word, and they wanted God's will. These were people who were devoted to God. They're both PKs, sorry, they're both pastor kids from the tribe of the priestly background. They're true believers in God. They're walking in obedience to the law. They're, they're not twisting God's word. They're not loopholing God's word. They're obedient to God's word. But the text specifies the obstacle in their life that stands out is they don't have any children. They have no child. Think about the dream that people, when they get married, typically the dream is, I can't wait to to have a family. Can't wait to have little ones in our yard and little ones in our house. I can't wait for just that dream to come true, whether it's one, two, or six. They had this dream that possibly they wanted to have a home full of children, but in the middle of their great faithfulness to God, they lived every single day with that reality not being true. They were righteous, but they were childless. And Elizabeth would even say at the end of this text today that this would be her shame. See, in that time period, it was looked upon women who could not produce children as guilt, as something was wrong, and something has been done wrong, possibly, to to, to not be able to produce children. This would be great social shame and bring a social stigma, and Elizabeth would feel that. As we read on, we're going to understand that because she was barren. She was not able to have life. She's not able to produce life. And on top of her barrenness, it says that they are now advanced in years. So you got to think at some point in life, they had to adjust the reality. The reality of, hey, we can't have children is now we won't have children. The dream is dead. There's no more dream. There's no more possibility. There's no more hope. There's no way this is ever going to be possible for them. And and in the middle of great pain, in the middle of maybe some confusion, and maybe even some questions, what we see and what I love about these two, what God details, is that even in great disappointment, they still faithfully obeyed God. Isn't that powerful? Is that disappointment often will often cause us to have disbelief. Disappointment will also often cause to have disillusionment. Disappointment will also cause to maybe have doubt or maybe even have denial of God's goodness and God's promises. Disbelief can produce a lot of those things in our lives. But the striking thing about Elizabeth and Zacharias is that they handled a lifelong disappointment 
with lifelong righteousness, lifelong obedience. Even when they did not have what they wanted, they still obeyed God. That's a truth all of us need to apply to our lives because they were praying for something, they, they, they were trusting for something, they were believing in something, they were hoping for something, but they did not have what they wanted, but that didn't determine or detour their faithfulness to God. They trusted God even when they didn't have what they wanted. And we see this unshaken resolve would lead to an unexpected revelation. Go to verse 8. Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen, again, not because he was important, he was chosen just by, by lot, by, by just winning the lottery, he was chosen by casting lots to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And it says, in the whole multitude of the people, they were in prayer outside uh, at the hour of the incense offering. And so here's some context that we know about the priestly tribe at this point. At this point in time, there's about 18,000 active priests. All right, 18,000 active priests. There's 18,000 priests across 24 divisions of priests. He was of the division of Abijah. So we know that he is of one of 18,000 priests in one of 24 different divisions. And so there's actually more priests than there are duties to do, which is why we see they only serve two weeks of the entire year. So the rest of the 50 weeks of the year, they were back home serving locally, serving in small ways. But for two weeks out of the entire year, they got to come to Jerusalem and they got to come to the temple and they would just hope that by lot, they would get chosen to enter the temple of God. They were just hoping they would be able to do a work that would be a worship that would be chosen for them. And, and we would see that this would be what they lived for. Their entire priesthood did was to be able to get into the presence of God. And so we have Lot, a certain priest. He came, and out of those two weeks, we see that he was chosen, which most priests didn't get the opportunity. And this would be the highest honor of his priestly ministry. Why? Because this would be the closest he would get to the presence of God. Remember, the high priest was the, actually the only priest once a year, one day a year, that would enter the Holy of Holies. Everyone else had to do the other things. They got the other duties. They got the other responsibilities that would be the temple, that would be the worship, the other offerings. And so this would be the closest he ever got to God. But watch this. God came close to him. Because it goes on. How did God come close to him? Well, he's in there. He's at the temple. He's burning the incense. He's worshiping God. He's offering up a prayer on behalf of the nation of Israel. In verse 10, again, the whole multitude, they were waiting outside. And then verse 11 says, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. He's in the middle of just a routine exercise, a routine worship, just uh, obviously with a heart for God. He's righteous, but he's in here just doing what he's called to do, supposed to do. And an angel showed up out of nowhere, standing at the right of the altar of incense. And Zacharias, he was troubled when he saw the angel and fear gripped him. He was afraid. When an angel shows up in the New Testament, man, it causes fear. We see the glory of God, the power of God, the presence of God. And the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition, your prayer, it has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness. Many will rejoice at your son's birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will drink no wine or liquor, a Nazarite vow, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet even in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. That's the message of repentance. 
It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children, the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous, so as to make ready what? A people prepared for the Lord. God came close to him and understand this about redemptive history, biblical history right here. It has been 400 years since God has spoken to his people. Yet the 400 years of silence. We have no record of the text, no record of God speaking to his people. We have no record since Malachi where God last spoke. So we have no record of God speaking to his people. It's been 400 years of silence. We also know this. It's been 500 years since we've last been told about an angel. The last time there was an angel mentioned in the text, it was also Gabriel, and it was in Daniel chapter 9. We'll come back to that in a moment, but it's been 500 years since an angel. It's also now been 800 years since a miracle has been seen. The days of Elijah and Elisha was the last time that a prophet sent by God was sent to produce a miracle, which again will be a sign of the Messiah to come. And so it's been centuries since God has spoken. It's been centuries since people have seen the power of God. It's been centuries since God has acted or sent an angel until right here, right now. And you're like, why did God show up? And what did God show up to tell him? What was the message? And what we see is that the angel says, God's silence has been broken God's about to work. God's about to move. I know it's been quiet. I know you haven't heard from God in 400 years. I know an angel hasn't been sent in 500 years. I know you've not seen a miracle in 800 years, but you're about to see it all happen right now. So he tells him what? A son's going to be born. It's going to be your son, Zacharias, and your son's going to be called John. God has a special name picked out just for him, and he's going to use him to be a forerunner. He's going to come and proclaim the gospel that what? A Messiah is coming. Prepare your hearts. Prepare your minds. Come back to God. Repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. The day of salvation is today. You need to get ready because Jesus is coming to save you from your sin. He's going to be a blessing to the whole entire world. And he says he's going to be great in the eyes of God. And I love that because in the eyes of man, John was not great. They thought he was strange, right? He lived in the wilderness. He wore animal clothing. He ate locusts with honey, right? There was nothing incredible about that man. But yet God says he's going to be great in my eyes because I'm going to use him to prepare the world for the gospel to come. And that's powerful because what we see in the middle of this great announcement about a Savior that's going to be delivered is that the angel mentions one specific thing to Zacharias. He tells him what? Hey, your prayer has been heard. Look in verse 13. And the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition, your prayer has been heard. And what was the answer to that prayer? What was his prayer? Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you will give him the name John. You have to kind of pause and stop and think and say, prayer? What prayer? Is he still praying for a baby? I mean, he's a senior adult. Right? He's past the age. His wife is barren. They've tried for years, and we don't have any idea if this was still a prayer. He was still praying. The text doesn't tell us that one hand he could be, you know what, I'm still praying every day. God, I know it doesn't seem likely. I know it's, we're 80 years old. I know it's not going to be pretty probable, but God, hey, you can do impossible things. Maybe he did have great faith. We're going to see that he probably didn't have that kind of faith and that his prayer was most likely, I quit praying this 20 years ago. The prayer was most likely the dream was dead, and I haven't prayed for this in a long time. I let that prayer request go a long time ago because, God, I didn't think it was ever actual possible for you to do this. And so whether this was an act of prayer or this was a dead dream, here's what we know to be true. God heard and answered his prayer. 
Whether it was something he was still seeking, whether it was something that used to be the desire of his heart, what we know to be true is God said, hey, Zacharias, I heard you. I haven't given up on you. I still have a plan and purpose for you. And I'm going to answer your prayer according to my will and my word and my time. Don't give up. So church, whatever it is that you're praying for, don't give up on God. Whatever it is you're asking God to do, however you're asking him to move, don't give up on God. Because what we're going to see here is that your prayers are not denied just because God's answers are different. And just because God's answers are delayed, it doesn't mean your prayers are denied. You may feel like, God, I've prayed this for years, but it's never come true. Don't give up because God's answers are different, but doesn't mean they've been denied. But God, I've tried and it's been waiting and waiting and waiting, but don't give up on God because just because his answers are delayed doesn't mean they've been denied. You have to trust that God will answer perfectly according to his will, his word, and his ways, and always for his glory. But he hears you and answers your prayers. Sometimes it's yes. Sometimes it's no. And sometimes it's just not yet. And we see him say, God has heard you. God has answered you. And God has even a name picked out for that boy you're going to have. He's got a special interest in you. He's got a special interest in this son. And oftentimes what we don't know always to be true on this side of glory and that side of the prayer is that God's answers are often better than we could ever ask for. I mean, he's praying for a son, right? He's praying for a child. But at no point do I think, and the text doesn't tell us, but he probably didn't pray, God, would you send me the forerunner for Christ? He probably just prayed for a baby. And yet God said, not only am I going to give you a baby, his name's going to be John. And he's going to call people to repentance. And I'm going to use him to change the world. Trust God. Amen. Don't give up on God. Trust him. Call out to him. Keep knocking. Keep asking. Keep seeking. And don't give up on seeking God. And so we see an unbelieving priest, and we see also God come and deliver number two, an unbelievable promise. Unbelievable promise. Let's go to verse 18. He makes a promise of John to come, and then Zechariah said to the angel, okay, okay, how will I know this for certain? I want proof, angel. I want evidence. For I'm an old man. My wife is advanced in years. This ain't going to happen. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. And I've been sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent, unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Now the people were waiting for Zacharias because they were wondering at his delay in the temple. But when he came out, just as the angel said, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And then he just kept making signs to them trying to explain what had happened, and he remained mute. And when the days of his priestly service were ended, after those two weeks of his duty, he went back home. And after these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant. It's coming true. But she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, this is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. Zacharias goes into the temple It's his turn to finally fulfill his priestly duty. He's going in there to burn incense, to burn at the altar, to offer a prayer up to God on behalf of the nation of Israel. He's going in there. The people are outside praying for him and praying for the worship that was taking place. And as he's in there, an angel shows up and tells him, God heard you, and God's going to do bigger and better than you ever thought possible. And his response is, I want not an explanation. I want some evidence. 
Almost like as if God's showing an angel and God's sending an angel and telling him, hey, your greatest prayer request that you've ever prayed in your entire life is going to be answered. It wasn't enough. Not exactly great faith, right? Not exactly the best man with the greatest faith to have in the world. Instead of looking to God to see what's possible, what did he do? He looked to himself and said, that's impossible. He said, look at me and look at my wife. We're old. We're barren. God, what you have said can't be true. It can't come true. So show me how this is going to happen. I want to see the evidence. And based on himself, he has no reason to believe because in his mind, God is disqualified. He can't use someone like me. He can't do something like this. God, that's not possible. And in the middle of all this doubt, in the middle of this denial of God's goodness, God silences him for nine months. Can't talk for nine months. Now you can imagine the scene. Everyone is waiting on him to come out of the temple, right? They're all at this point, they're wondering. And in this day and age, when they went to the temple, the priest would have special things. The high priest especially. When he walked in the presence of God, they would tie a rope around his ankle. And they would have bells on the bottom of his, of his dress. Because they would always hear him moving. And if they stopped hearing him move, and if they knew he was in there too long, they could drag him out. Because we have evidence in the Bible of men going into the presence of God with unconfessed sin. Offering strange fire, if you will. And, and doing things that weren't pleasing to the Lord. They, they were struck dead in the temple. And so they were, had preparations for that in case a man were to go in. And they're sitting there wondering, what in the world happened to Zacharias? Did he do something wrong? Did he walk in with, with wrong worship? Did he walk in with a bad heart towards God? What's wrong with Zacharias? Where in the world is he? And he comes out and he can't talk. So what does he do? He, sign language, right? Starts doing church charades, right? He's like trying to explain everything. And so he starts doing this, right? Like what? All right, one arm angel. What else, right? What else you got? starts doing this and he's like this and like fear like he's trying to explain everything and they're trying to they're like basically we don't know what's going on there's just an explanation and somehow something happened they, he saw a vision obviously and then he goes home and you can imagine that first time trying to explain to your wife we're gonna have a baby right he does this right <laughs> call me fat right is that what you're doing no 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 honey baby right all of a sudden tears overflow the promise they've been waiting on. They're like, how is this going to be possible? I don't, I don't believe this. And this brother is speechless. And then he comes and explains the power and the promise of God to everyone just through signs. I want you to see two things that will help us as we come to moments of faith where that faith is challenged, right? This is a moment where his faith has been incredibly challenged because he's been confronted. He's been encouraged. He's been promised. But how does he respond? Well, here's what we need to know to be true. Knowing the Bible will always help us believe, Knowing the Bible will help us believe in those moments where our faith has been challenged. In other words, what I want you all to see in this text, what I want you to, to expose out of this text is this. Zacharias should have known better. What do you mean by that? How do you, what do you mean that, that, that he should have known better? Well, understand this. This is not just any angel. This is Gabriel, right? That's what he says. He goes, what? When Zacharias asks him, how am I going to know this for sure? It's impossible. I'm old. My wife's old too. The angel said what? I am Gabriel. And all of a sudden, Zacharias would have been like, light bulb. Because what? He knows his Old Testament. He's a priest. He should know the word of God. And what does he know about the angel Gabriel? Well, he knows in Daniel chapter 9, Gabriel showed up to Daniel. And what did Gabriel say to Daniel in Daniel chapter 9? He said, hey, Israel's going to be delivered. We're going back home to Israel. They've been in captivity in Babylon. They've been under great distress but he says, there's relief coming, and I'm going to take y'all back. God's going to deliver his people back to the nation of Israel. 
But not only am I going to deliver my people back to my nation, God would say this, I'm going to send you a son. And this son is going to deliver you from your sin, from all bondage, not just earthly bondage, from spiritual bondage. There's a promise of a Savior, a promise of Messiah, all the way back to Daniel chapter 9 when Gabriel showed up. And when he asked, how am I going to know this for sure? What do you say to this? Because I am Gabriel. And if you know me, you know the message I bring. The message I bring is about a Savior about a son who is coming. And he's here to announce the fulfillment of that promise that God made 500 years before. If you know your Bible, you can have belief. Zacharias would have remembered. And so I would just challenge you guys, don't look for proof. Lean on his promises. We're always trying to find proof of things. Just lean on the promises of God. Trust the word of God. When I have to <clears throat> walk through moments where my faith is challenged, I need to immediately go back to the word and say, what is God's word said to be true? I'm going to lean on what's true, not on how I feel, not on my experience around me, not on my explanations, not on my circumstances. I'm going to lean, I'm going to land on truth because the Bible will help me believe even when it seems impossible. But here's the second thing I want you to see. Your faithfulness, sorry, your faithlessness, your faithlessness will often forfeit God's favor. Your faithlessness will often forfeit God's favor. And what do you mean by that? Well, for nine months, Zacharias is completely silent. For nine months, he can't declare the promise of God. For nine months, he can't say, you wouldn't believe this, guys. An angel showed up and told me I'm going to have a son. And not only that, but he told me about a son that's going to come after him. His name is going to be Jesus, right? We got these promises coming true. And, and it's all the way back in Daniel. If y'all remember the word, he doesn't ever get to share on that news. He doesn't get to expound on that news. He doesn't get to participate in that news. And so know this, that your lack of faith it won't ever change God's plan, but you will forfeit the blessing of doing what God wanted you to do in the middle of that moment. I don't want to miss out on what God has. I understand this. God's reality, God's will, it's going to come with or without your faith. God is sovereign. He has a plan and purpose that cannot be squandered by anything on earth or in heaven or in hell. Right? There's nothing that can change God. But here's what I know to be true. I can't mess it up, but I can miss out. I can miss out on blessings. I can miss out on obedience that will lead to greater blessings. I can miss out on maybe what God wanted to do. And now instead of being blessed, i got to be disciplined as his child. And now I'm walking through maybe an obstacle instead of another opportunity, right? There's all these things that can come into play. And so your faithlessness will often forfeit God's favor. And so I would just challenge you with this. It's always best to believe. Just believe God. Just trust God. Because the ultimate promise that we see in this text is the takeaway here today is that God breaks his silence to bring us salvation. God breaks his silence to bring us salvation. 400 years of silence. And why does he break it? A Savior's coming. Salvation's on the way. God's promises have always pointed us to his son coming to save us from our sin. That's the reality of this promise here. Zacharias, I'm going to give you a son, but this son's just setting up the way to be made for my son. Because my son's going to come, and my son is going to come as a fulfillment of all the promises I've ever made. They're all pointing to this son, but your son, he's going to be part of this. He's not going to miss out. He's going to be a part, Zacharias, and he's going to tell people to repent. Prepare your heart. 
Prepare your mind. The day of salvation is here. It is time to get right with God. Return to the promises of God. Return to the person of God. Return to the presence of God. Turn away from your sin. Turn away from your shame. Turn away from your guilt and come back to me. That is what your son will do is the message and the gospel of repentance because the Savior is here. Salvation has come and it can be yours today if you repent of your sin, receive Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior. Because what we know about this truth about Christ is exactly what Elizabeth expresses at the end. She said, the Lord looked up on me with favor to take away my disgrace. See, Jesus came and he has defeated all your disgrace. All your sin has been forgiven. All your shame has been dealt with. All your, all your guilt has been exposed. You have been set free in the name of Jesus because Jesus has come to deal and defeat all your disgrace. But you have to come to Christ. You have to find it in Christ and in Christ alone. Because in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he who knew no sin became sin for our sake so that in him we might become, we might receive the righteousness of God. We thank you for listening. Be sure to click the subscribe button on this podcast so you don't miss out on any and all of our future content. We pray you were encouraged by the word of God today. If you feel that the Lord is leading you to make a decision or have questions, you can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, or at our website at newlifebaptist.faith.